0: Please take your Bibles and turn with me as we continue in our studies in 2 Timothy to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Second Timothy chapter 4, we're looking today at verses 6 through 8. These verses continue in the theme, actually set the theme, uh, for the passages we read earlier, which you probably noted, had in common the theme of farewell. Uh, of moving on, of, of saying goodbye, and it's certainly true for um, for chapter for Second Timothy as a whole, really, uh, but certainly chapter four and these verses that we are looking at this morning. So, look with me, Second Timothy chapter four, beginning in verse six. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul writes, "For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come." I have fought the good fight, I finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. We give thanks to the Lord for his word. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that as we study your word this morning, that our hearts would worship you, the one who gave, the one who spoke this word. Father, we thank you for these verses. Father, we do thank you and rejoice in the salvation and the tremendous usefulness of Paul. Uh, Father, what a transformation to go from one who was persecuting the church, seeking to put Christians to death, to one who himself was willing to die for the very faith he once tried to stamp out. Father, we thank you for his faithfulness, but we recognize, Lord, in the final analysis, he was just a sinner saved by grace, as we are. And Father, we thank you for that grace and for our salvation. We pray as we study your word now that you'd feed our souls and fill our minds and uh, work in our hearts. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, back last August, last September, It just didn't seem possible, and yet it has happened. School is out. Summer is back. And there's a group in the church that are very happy about that. Yes, the teachers are ecstatic, and the students are sort of happy about it as well. But those of you who are teachers or students, how did you do? Were you able to keep up the intensity, keep up the work to the end, it's kind of easy when school gets started, it's fresh, it's new, uh, new situation, new classes, new teachers, but it gets harder toward the end as you're tired, the weather's getting better, the end is drawing near to keep up the intensity. But it's important not just to start well, but to finish well also. And that's true certainly in school, but it's true in a lot of things. It's true in you're running a race. It's true in a project at work. It's true uh, in marriage. You want to begin well, but it's important to finish well. Well, today we're looking at the words of a man who finished well in the most important arena of all, life itself, and not just life, but the Christian life, following Christ. Now, 2 Timothy is the last letter that we have from Paul, and in it, Paul is basically signing off. He is passing on the mantle, just as Joshua was going to follow Moses, just as Elisha would follow Elijah. Well, Timothy was taking on Paul's mantle, his ministry, as Paul is passing from the scene. And so in this goodbye letter, this really is his goodbye passage, and the aged apostle indulges himself in a moment of reflection, a moment of looking back on his ministry. Because for nearly 30 years, he has followed Christ, he has preached the gospel, he has thrived, and he has suffered. He has traveled widely, he's been confined to prison, he's preached to large crowds, and he's talked to people uh, in, in their homes. And so this great ministry is drawing to an end in a matter of weeks, as Paul is uh, confined in a Roman prison, uh, maybe just days, maybe even hours. Paul recognizes that he is going to stand before Jesus, his work done. Now, as we think about Paul's words, uh, we're reminded of a great truth that was Seen in Paul himself, but needs to be true in us. And that is that we need to recognize that as Christians, we must, by the grace of God, strive to finish well. Now, notice Paul begins this this first verse, verse 6, with the word for. It's important for Timothy to fulfill his own ministry, as Paul says in verse 5, fulfill your ministry. It's important because Paul isn't going to be around much longer. That's always true. You always have a generation passing from the scene and another generation or two rising to take its place. And we think about that in the church. Uh, There was a day for believers when Calvin and Luther were gone. There will be a day when John MacArthur and John Piper and R.C. Sproul have finished their course and are with the Lord. It's tempting to want to sit around and think, oh no, what will become of the church? Now, I remember when the pastor I had growing up uh, left our church. He'd been pretty much the only pastor I'd known, vaguely remember the one before him. But it's kind of a sinking feeling. What will become of us? Reminds me of someone uh, who asked Warren Wearsby, Pastor Warren Wearsby, when he was leaving a church, what we're going to do without him. Uh, and he said, probably much better. Um, you know, God is always raising up a new generation, and we need to pray for that. But that's happening here. Paul is, is leaving the scene, and as he thinks back over his life, three thoughts in particular come to his mind, things that we need to keep in mind, too, that will help us to, like Paul, finish well. The first thing that Paul is thinking about here that we need to be reminded of is this, the reality that this life will end. That it will, yeah, now some of you who are older, that's maybe a thought that has begun to cross your mind some. Those of you who are younger, that's completely an abstract, meaningless thought that really does not have much grip on your heart. But you need to reflect on it anyway and recognize that our time in this life is limited. And Paul puts it this way in verse 6. He says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. And so he describes this reality with a couple of pictures. One is that of an offering, a drink offering. Now, when we think of offerings, we tend to think of the bulls or the goats or the sheep that were offered. But there were also food offerings. It would be grain offerings or meat offerings, uh, but also drink offerings, typically wine, that would be poured out on the altar. And the very imagery itself indicates a, a permanence when it's poured out. It's gone. It cannot be reclaimed. It cannot be taken back. And that's the picture that Paul uses to describe the end of his life, that he's being poured out like an offering in the sense of finality. And it's actually upon him. notice He doesn't say I'm going to be poured out. He says, I am already being poured out. Maybe the events already set in motion that are going to lead to his execution. But notice also for Paul, that very image of being poured out is a meaningful one. You see, Paul in his life and in his death saw himself as being offered up to God. Paul doesn't see his death as a tragedy. He sees it as the final offering of of, of himself to God, which has taken place throughout his life. Paul wrestled. He says to the Philippians, I I would rather go and be with Christ, but it's better for you that I remain here. Paul would be with Christ very soon, and he sees that as being offered out as a drink offering, being poured out, a final offering, giving up of himself to the Lord. Second picture that he uses of the end of his life is that of a departure. Now, if if you uh, know your New Testament, you you may have caught that word. It may have, have been uh, reminded you of something else uh, in Luke chapter nine, where Jesus, Luke's account of Jesus' transfiguration, Jesus. It's said to be on the mountain. He's glorified. His divine radiance shines through. And it says he's standing there t- talking to Moses and Elijah about his departure. Now, the word that's used there that Luke uses is the word for which our word Exodus comes from. Which means, of course, to depart, to exit. And, but it's, it's loaded, obviously, with, with biblical and theological Meaning, because of the exodus in the Old Testament, that Jesus is our new Moses who leads us in an exodus uh, out of slavery, not to the Egyptians, but to sin and to death. But that's not the word that Paul uses here. He uses a word that is, is I think, equally interesting. It's the word our word analysis comes from. When you analyze something, you break it into parts. And that's one sense of the word is, is to be to be broken into parts, which is sort of a graphic image, uh, dissolution. Uh, however, I think the ESV is right in translating it departure uh, in a more picturesque image because the word also can have the sense of loosing or, or releasing something. And in fact, in Homer's Odyssey, the word is used to describe the unmooring of ships, Casting off, setting out from the dock on a voyage. And when Paul thinks of his death, he uses this term, which the ESV and other translations render, departure, to indicate that his death is not so much an end, a termination, as it is leaving one shore for another, loosing the moorings, setting off. I was listening just this morning, in fact, on my way to the church, to uh, the Lutheran Hour which if you've never heard it, it's very good. It's it's a Lutheran church, Missouri Synod, very strong gospel preaching. Uh, sometimes, if, I'm, if I leave early enough, can catch it on my way to the church. But uh, the speaker was talking this morning about a serviceman who in his will had stipulated in his funeral that there be two trumpeters. And one, in traditional military fashion, would play taps. Taps indicating the, the end of the day. And in this case, the end of his life. But as soon as taps was over, the second trumpeter would play reveling, the beginning of the day, a new start, and very fitting, because as he saw it, he was his life in this world had ended, but he was taking up new life in heaven itself, which is a very Christian way of looking at it. And Paul doesn't say I'm, I'm terminating, he says the time for my departure has. Come. He's leaving this world, yes, but his soul will be with the Lord until the day of Christ's return, the resurrection of his body. So we need to recognize the reality that this life in this world, if Christ should tarry, does come to an end. We need to reckon that there will be a finish. And like Paul, we ought to see it as being that final offering of ourselves up to the Lord, regardless of how we should die. Uh, We should also see that as our departure, our leaving this scene then to be with the Lord. So part of finishing well means that there's going to be a finish. We need to reckon on that and plan for that and prepare for that and aim toward that to finish well in this life. Now, the second thing that Paul thinks about here is that finishing well means to recognize that we will leave a record behind. We will leave behind that record, that tale of our lives, how we lived, the story of our lives. And Paul does this in just three terse, graphic, staccato statements. I have, he says, fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And the tense of those verbs indicates that the record is written. He's pretty much at the end of his life and and the record is there. Um, I have just recently heard that Ian Murray, uh, with Banner of Truth Trust, has written several magnificent biographies. Probably foremost among them are his biography of Jonathan Edwards, uh, the, 17th, uh, the, the 18th century, 1700s uh, colonial preacher. Uh, his biography of the 20th century preacher Martin Louis Jones, which is uh, in, in two large Volumes uh, commend them both to you, but he's come out with uh, just come out with a biography of uh, California pastor John MacArthur, which would make for interesting reading. Uh, many of you, I know, are aware of John MacArthur and been blessed perhaps by his books and his ministry. But Ian Murray quickly said, "This is not the definitive biography of John MacArthur for one very good reason: John MacArthur is still living." Uh, and I hope has me good years still kicking in him of, of faithful ministry. And so there's, there's still more to write, so it can't be definitive because the story hasn't been finished. Well, for Paul, it pretty much is. Paul says, "I have fought. I have finished. I have kept." He sees himself as, as at the end, all that's left is how he will die. And he pretty much knows how that's going to happen. But he says, "I've reached the end. This is the record." What does he say about it? Well, he says, "I fought the good fight." The word "fight" is the word from which our word "agony" comes from. It means a struggle uh, or or suffering. Um, it could refer to a race. Uh, any of you who have run a distance race know something of why agony might be the word that would uh, that would go toward that. But he mentions the race as the second thing. And so it seems a good way to put it here. I fought the good fight. But why good? Well, because it's God's fight. Because it's the work of the gospel in the world. Because Paul engaged in it for Christ and his gospel. And we get some sense of that struggle that Paul talks about in Galatians 4.19. A very different picture. He's talking about, He uses the image of childbirth in Galatians. He says, My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. So a different picture, but that same sense of struggle, of effort, of work, and yes, even of agony until Christ is formed in his people. I fought the good fight, he says. I have run the race second. And that's not an unusual comparison, even with Paul, but also in Hebrews, as we've seen on Sunday nights, where the Christian life is, is likened to a race you know, not the hundred yard dash, but a long race, a marathon, one that requires endurance, one that requires pressing on when you're tempted to give up and quit. And as we saw in Acts chapter twenty, Paul uses this same picture uh, when he spoke to those elders. He says, I don't want to account my life of any value, or even precious to myself if only. Now it's not Paul's not saying I don't account my life as of any value. He's just saying I don't account it of value if only I may finish my course, there's that same imagery, very similar wording, and the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel and the grace of God. And so Paul sees the finish line. It's now so close he can say, I have run the race. And then he says, third, I've kept the faith. You see, Paul is saying that he's done the very things that he's charging Timothy to do. It doesn't just mean that he's gone on believing in Christ, although certainly he's done that but that he's guarded that deposit of the gospel that the Lord Jesus gave to him. And the very things he's he's telling Timothy to do, Paul says, now that I've come to the end of my life, I've done it. I've held on to the gospel. I've preached it faithfully. I've guarded it from error, and I'm passing it on to you, Timothy, as the, the true, pure gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. As a steward of the gospel, he's been faithful himself, and now challenging Timothy to do the same. Well, some have said, well, Paul's just kind of boasting here. Is he? Is this inappropriate? Well, no, uh, for a number of reasons, including which Paul has already acknowledged to Timothy that he's done this only, been able to do this only by the grace of God. He says this several times. 2 Timothy 2 1, you know, you be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Uh, he's not exalting himself. He acknowledges Christ's goodness that he's been able to do this. And in another place, Paul acknowledges that what ultimately matters is not what he thinks of his ministry, but what the Lord thinks of it. Remember in 1 Corinthians 4, uh, Paul says with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself for I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It's the Lord who judges me. So Paul looks at his life. He sees faithfulness. He's not perfection, but faithfulness, success. He's he's done what he was called to do. But he acknowledges, uh, as he would here, if you asked him, yes, ultimately it's what the Lord thinks of how Paul ran, how Paul fought, how he kept the faith that matters, not what Paul himself thinks. But as he's challenging Timothy, as he's about to depart from the scene, he says, Timothy, this is what I've done, and I'm calling on you to do faithfully as well. So let me ask you. When you reach the end of your life, when you are standing on the threshold of eternity and you look back over your life, what will you see? In in the calling to which God has called you, whether it's in your, your, your work or your family or your avocation or ministry, whatever form that might take, what will you see? Will you see a strong finish? Will you finish well? Or will you see a good start, but a slow fade? Or will you see a good start, but a tragic, catastrophic fall, a stumble, perhaps even being disqualified from the race? Will you have a record of faithfulness that will encourage others, that will inspire others, that you can point to with thanksgiving to God and say, I have fought the fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith third thought Paul has has to do with the reward he will receive in verse 8. He says, Henceforth, that is, soon in the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. What what is the crown of righteousness? Well, it could be that that crown that is righteousness itself. And there's something to that. Because we are justified in Christ now, but when we are with the Lord and are glorified, uh, we will receive that, that perfect righteousness. We ourselves will be righteous as he is righteous. Sin will be removed. And that's, that's true. He could be He's referring to a verdict. Rome has judged him worthy of death, but God says, no, this man is, is righteous. But it seems to me he's just acknowledging here that the Lord will commend him, will give him this crown of righteousness after, after all he uses the word award, will award to me on that day, although Paul would acknowledge it's all by the grace of God, but that he has run well, and just as a uh, someone who competed in the, the Isthmus Games or the ancient Olympics would receive just that garland uh, that acknowledged that he was the winner. Well, Paul sees himself as crossing the finish line, having done well, and receiving that commendation from the Lord. But Paul quickly adds, not just me though, it's not It though there can only be one winner, not just me. Paul quickly adds, Not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. He's talking about Christians. After all, it's only Christians who can love the prospect of Christ returning as the conquering king, as the judge. The non-Christian has nothing to look forward to in the return of Christ. Because it means his judgment. It means his condemnation for his rebellion against the King. Well, Paul says it's a wonderful way to refer to Christians to all who have loved the appearing of Christ, whether it's his first appearing and and I think specifically referring to loved his his, his second coming, the prospect that he will return. There's not just one winner. There's not just one person who receives that garland, the, the victor's wreath, victor's crown. But we, too, who run well with Paul will receive that commendation. Well, I know I've shared it with you before, uh, Jonathan Edwards' resolution. You know, his resolutions he wrote when he was about 19. Well, he was 19, some of them when he was 20. Uh, but the 17th resolution is one that has stuck in my, my mind and I've thought about and think about more as time rolls on. And the resolution that Edwards put forth was this. Resolved that I will live so as I shall wish I had done. When I come to die, to live so as I shall wish I had done when I come to die. In other words, no regrets, no getting to your deathbed and thinking, oh, you know, I wish I had done this. I wish I had done that. I wish I hadn't done that. When's the time to make sure that doesn't happen? Now. Now, while you're writing that record, now, while you're fighting that fight and and running that race, now is the time To prepare to finish well. By the time you're ready to finish, it's too late. Now is the time. Can't go back and rewrite it once you're there. You're writing it now. And I suggest Edward's resolution is a good one to adopt ourselves. To live so as I shall wish I had done when I come to die. Friends, I want to finish well. I hope you do, too. The way to finish well is to fight well now, to run well now, to keep the faith now and keep on until you come to the end, until you cross the finish line, until the Lord opens his arms to welcome you home. And places on you the victor's wreath and says, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And then you know what we'll do, of course. We'll take that crown and we'll place it at our Savior's feet. Because ultimately, the victory is not ours, it's His. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank You for the victory of Jesus, that He has won our salvation. And Lord, that such as we do run the race of the Christian life, such as we do fight that good fight, such as we keep the faith, it is by His grace and it is out of His triumph for us. But Father, there is a fight for us. There is a race for us. There is a faith to keep. And Father, we pray that by Your grace we would do that. Father, keep us from a slow fade. Keep us from a tragic stumble. Help us, Lord, to continue to fight, to continue to run, to keep the faith, and by your grace and to your glory, Lord, and to our joy to finish well. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.